Good morning, everyone. As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons of the word found in your bulletin helps us do just that. Let's read it together. All people are, all people are like grass. All their faithfulness is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Our first scripture reading this morning is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 1004. Again, the text is Galatians 5, 22 to 23, found on page 1004. Hear now the word of the Lord. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The next sermon scripture comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, found on page 968 of the Pew Bibles. Again, the text is Romans 3, 21 to 26, found on page 968. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Thank you, Sherry. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads together in prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, apart from your spirit engraving these words on our hearts, uh, nothing will happen. We will continue, as Jesus said, flesh will give birth to flesh, but only your spirit can give birth to, to spirit. So Father, please quicken our souls, animate our hearts, bend our wills, renew our affections. Oh Father, may our allegiance to Jesus Christ be strengthened Father, may it be singular this morning. May we surrender all and find the freedom, the power in the one, the only one who has been raised from the dead, the one who sits at your right hand, reigning over all the forces of darkness. Father, it is in his name that we come this morning. And we ask these things. Father, uh, we ask these things because we need them, because we are in great need. Amen. Well, let's see, this summer we've been walking through the fruit of the Spirit, um, and uh, we have been 
just as, as mentioned before in the uh, early church, and you can see this in the New Testament, that the often the various traits or character qualities or virtues that uh, God's people are to exude are considered to be, or are likened to clothing that we wear. And this is, the, if you will, the fruit of the Spirit is that the clothing of God's kingdom. It is what we are to put on every single morning. And it is a clothing that, again, that we cannot wear on our own. It's so important that we, we see that. As we see with these, these qualities, it's not just, hey, be this or do that. It's just say, you know what? I really, in fact, I'm not really sure I want to do this. And even when I want to do this, I really don't have the ability to do it. And so as we, as we uh, I'm going to do just a brief review before we talk about patience or really forbearance this morning. And, uh, and just as, by way of review, I just want to talk uh, about first love. Do you remember what we said that love was? Love, we said, is treating someone according to their worth. According to their worth. It's seeing someone for who they really are. And what makes this a spirit-filled love, this is so important, guys, what makes this a spirit-filled love is to see others according to the worth that God ascribes to them, not the worth that the world would give them or that I would give them. I don't know about you, I can tell you how many times I will judge people by their appearance. I judge people by the job they have or don't have. I judge people by all manner of worldly criteria that on the whole will do one of two things. It will either make them a hero that I worship or it will make them a zero that I forget about. I place them on a pedestal where they don't belong or I place them in the trash bin where they don't belong either. And usually I'm judging myself according to those same criteria. I say this with tongue-in-cheek, but one of the people I love to follow is just, I go to the gym and I want inspiration. So I usually go, I'll go on YouTube and I'll, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll Google or I'll search for Chris Hemsworth, you know, Thor, right? The actor Thor. And so I'll look for these, all these workouts, stuff like that. And I'll get on there. I'm like, yeah, it's so motivating. Like, man, that guy's amazing. And I will evaluate. I don't even know the man at all. But I think, ah, Chris Hemsworth, what a guy, right? And I don't even, I'm not saying he's a bad or good person. I just don't know him. But I'm willing to attribute to him a value and a worth that it's just silly. It's kind of ridiculous. Love is treating someone according to their worth and not their worthiness. You got that? Clarify. So God, a God-given worth versus their worthiness of how godly they are, how much they have obeyed or not obeyed. It's looking past, or not, not setting aside, not ignoring, but looking past the things they have done wrong, the current trajectory of their life, and seeing how God has created them and made them marvelously, beautifully. Does that make sense? Love is treating someone according to their worth. And this is such an, an alive question today in, in so much cultural conversation. What is it that gives a person worth? Like I say, we're not going to evaluate people. We're not going to treat them according to their worldly criteria of worth. And that's what the world is right now, lost in the sense of what gives a person worth value. What gives them importance? What gives them status? But it's not, love isn't just loving someone, treating someone according to their worth. 
It's treating someone according to God's wisdom. So important. I can have great affection for someone. I can care about them a lot. And I can still love them very poorly. My son Harrison, my two-year-old son Harrison, comes up to me and I'm working in the kitchen doing something. I don't know. I don't work in the kitchen. This is a complete hypothetical example, sadly. All right. So let's say I'm working in the kitchen and, um, I, well, I, I clean up. I don't actually produce anything of value in, in the kitchen uh, in a culinary way. Uh, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm cutting with my knife, cutting carrots up or something. And Harrison jumps up and he sees the knife and he wants the knife. Oh, he kind of reaches for it. And of course, I just love Harrison so much. And so I say, Harrison, take the knife. Sure, go play with it. Would that be love? Right? It's Harrison wants the knife. I want Harrison to be happy. And so I give Harrison the knife. No, that would be completely wrong. Right? So there's a wisdom to love. There's a wisdom that says, what is really best for Harrison? What is best for me? What is best for you? And so often in our sinful hearts, in our, our, our sinful ways, our, we, we, we think we know what we want, right? We think we know what's best. I think I know what's best for me. I think I know what's best for you. I think I know what's best for our kids. And I follow my own wisdom in loving. And that's how it is that you have a proverb like Proverbs 14.1 that says, A wise woman builds her house. But with her own hands, a foolish one tears it down. Now, how many of you moms, think about it, how many of you moms go, oh yeah, I'm just going to tear my house down. I can't wait to do that. I'm going to destroy my marriage. I'm going to destroy my kids. I'm going to alienate myself from my kids. I'm going to undermine everything. No one, I mean, almost no one sets out to do that. They have great affection for their children, great affection for their spouse. And yet, how many of you know moms who have destroyed their homes, who have alienated themselves from their children, who live utterly alone because of what they have done to destroy their home. Now, that's the Proverbs, true, equally true of fathers. Fathers who, through alcohol or through, through workaholism, have just neglected. But no one sets out to do it. So again, what is love? Treating another according to their worth and according to God's wisdom. Love, how do you do it? Love, love says these things. I'm going to review because it's so important. Love says things like, wow. It says, wow, that's the recognition of worth. Look at you, wow. And love says, not only do I, I say, wow, when I see you, I say, welcome, come on in. Come on in. I want to be a part. I want to be near you. I'm going to draw near to you and, and come, come, come here to me. Love says, wow. Love says, welcome. And love says, I'm with you. It's, there's, there's, I'm going to talk about it in a second. There's a steadfastness to love. Love says, I am here. I am with you. I am present. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. But love also says, watch out. Watch out. When we care for someone and they're in the way of a train, we're going to say, hey, watch out. Love, it takes that risk, that, that willingness to actually say, listen, we got to talk. I'm concerned. I'm scared for you. Are you sure you're okay? Love intervenes. Love is actually invasive. How many of us can think of times we look back and we would have killed to have some friend, some family member stop us from what we did? 
Some just say, hey, no, I am, I am, no, I, I love you so much, I am not going to let you go down this road. Love says, wow, says, welcome, says, I'm with you, says, watch out, right? And it weeps often when the person goes ahead and they do, you just, we're weeping, that's what we talked about earlier, lament. And then love also says, watch me, watch me, or watch this. Love is an example. It sets out. It says, this is how I'm going to live my life and I want you to live it the same way. So love always involves commitment. It always involves cost. And here is the how of love. You will, we will not be able to do this unless we believe in the Spirit's work to provide in the midst of loss. See, when, we, when, when there is cost, sacrifice, when there's commitment, those two things always will result in loss. Love is costly. You, you miss out. You lose out on things. You lose in all manner of ways. You lose something. And true love says that I don't see how it's going to happen. I don't see how I'm going to get back what I'm losing. But I'm going to believe that God is going to provide does that make sense? I'm going to believe that God is going to be there to give back what has been lost. So faith always requires the sacrifice, a sacrifice that is only made in faith, that embraces the very heart of Jesus' teaching, saying, whoever loses his life will find it. Does that make sense? Whoever loses his life will gain it. It, it, it enters, love enters into that V, it enters into that loss, that, that humiliation, believing in an exaltation. It enters into that whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That is spirit-filled love. So that's love. Let's talk about peace. We talked about joy earlier in the service. Let's talk about peace, and then we'll talk about forbearance or, or patience. Let me just, as we talked about last week, we talked about the idea of, of peace as, uh, in a sense, the idea of wholeness. That everything is where it belongs. Those of you kids, think about Legos. As a kid, I played with Legos all the time. And how do you get to the place in a Lego set where every piece is exactly where it belongs? How does that happen? What do you have to do to get there? You can see it on the front of the box. You know, okay, all these pieces. How do you get from all these pieces to every piece being exactly the right place. Well, the instructions, right? We all know that we open the Lego box, you're gonna look in there, there'll be all these pieces, they'll be in their various packages, and yet there's gonna be these instructions. And it's the instructions that actually enable you, the directions that enable you to get to that place of completion, that place of wholeness, that place of integrity, that place of fulfillment of purpose, and that is what the Bible calls peace. See, to the true pursuit of peace is a peace that says, you know what? This Lego box, all these pieces, someone knew what they were doing when they designed them. Someone who knew what they were up to, they had a wisdom, a discernment to know how every, all of those pieces fit together. They had a wisdom, a discernment to know how the law, or how the instructions will lead you to that place of peace. Right? And so in faith, you say, oh, this is where I'm longing for wholeness, I'm longing for integrity, I'm longing for peace. I'm going to trust the designer. 
and follow the instructions. That make sense? That's what leads to peace. In fact, in our day, this is, this is the cultural question. It's like every person shows up in America today, I mean, all these Lego pieces. And it's like, don't let anyone tell me how to find peace. I'm going to make my Legos my own way. I'm going to self-authenticate. I'm going to self I'm going to choose myself, my own path to peace. And the question is, is there a designer? Were these Legos, were, were, was there a manufacturer? Did they come from somewhere? Is it just random pieces that you just sort of randomly build and say, this is who I am. This is my identity. And will that lead to the peace that we long for? Will it lead to every part actually matching up and being something that it's supposed to be? So that's peace. There's much more we could say there, but just we need a love of, of, of peace. And now this morning, which won't take long, I'm going to talk about the idea of forbearance. As a kid, I used to watch this the TV series. It was called Unsolved Mysteries. You guys ever heard of this, Unsolved Mysteries? I think it has its various forms, various TV, you know, various channels, etc. But over the years, the whole idea is that there are these often, you know, I probably shouldn't have watched it as a kid, honestly. It was pretty gruesome. You have all these, like, these, these uh, m- often murder mystery or some sort of missing person, and the case has never been solved. Now, I, I, I liked it because it was just really intriguing to see, like, what are, you know, what, what's, what's missing? Why haven't they been able to solve this? And why is it so, um, what, what, what happened here that they haven't been able to, to, to figure out who, who did it? And there was only one part of the show that I didn't like, because otherwise I'd be glued to the screen. There was one part, inevitably, in throughout, the, you know, throughout these various unsolved mysteries that I wouldn't like. And you can guess what that might be. There's always the part of a grieving family member. Maybe a mom or a dad, some survivor of the person that was lost. And you listen and talk, often in tears, and this sense of justice not, have never never been done. Never was the perpetrator, the murderer, whoever, the abductor, never were they brought to justice. And the person lives with this sense of unresolved, unaddressed sorrow, unaddressed injustice that's there and it just lingers like a wound inside. Have you ever had that? Maybe not to that degree, of course. But you ever had people who have wronged you? And they pretend like everything's fine. They have hurt you, or maybe you hurt a loved one. And there's been no, absolutely no resolution whatsoever. What is it like to live day in and day out with that reality that, you know what, this may never actually be addressed? No one is going to acknowledge how much damage has been done. No one's going to talk about what you have lost, what you have given up, the sacrifice that you have made so unfairly, so unwillingly. I can't tell one of the hardest things as often as a minister is talking to, 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 adult, to adults now who, as children, experience some form of trauma whether it was neglect, whether it was abuse. And especially in the, in the, in the case of neglect, um, you know, there's, there's no smoking gun. You know, you can't point to a date when someone hit somebody or you can't, you know, whatever. It's just this general sense that I never had time for you. 
You really weren't worth my time. And the, how crazy-making that is, and how just the sense of what, what's, you know, what's wrong with me. And it's unaddressed, and it's unacknowledged. No way mom or dad are ever going like, to own anything about that. Living with that unaddressed, that unaddressed wrong can be just so difficult to do. Now, as we look, Sherry read for us the book of Romans. I want to ask a few questions about forbearance. How does one forbear under those circumstances? How does one, in the face of unaddressed injustice, how do you, what do you do? It could be something small. It could be a, a whole smattering of small things. That's often how marriage is. Often, sometimes in marriage can be some sort of catastrophic event, but so often in our close relationships, it's just this, this daily sort of popcorn of injustice, right? And it's that one little thing doesn't really matter, but just, they just add up and they add it day after day, week after week, month after month. And so many things just become unaddressed. And the weight of all of that just begins to choke the relationship out. Let's look at this, this passage. I think that passage that, that uh, Sherry read for us, um, it's Romans chapter 3. It speaks so beautifully of God's uh, forbearance. And I want to ask a few questions of this text, or this, in a sense this text elicits several questions. The first question is this. If we are to forbear, we must ask first, who makes the difference? Who makes the difference? You can look in chapter 3. This is page 968 of your pew Bible, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. The righteousness of God refers to God's ability to make things right. Does that make sense? To his, his, his promised intention to make the world right. Does that make sense? It refers to his, his, his desire, his promise to put things back in their place. We just talked about peace, right? It'd be like, it would be like if you have a Lego toy and then suddenly a Lego toy falls on the ground and your parent says, listen, I promise you, I will rebuild the toy for you. God has made a promise to, to Old Testament Israel that through Israel that he will actually bring peace to the world, that he will right all that is wrong. And, 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 and uh, Paul is saying, listen, he's saying, apart from, in a way that, that is, it is apart from the law, we'll talk about that in a second, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's, it's, be, it's actually been revealed. And it's a righteousness, he says, that's promised, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness now listen, I want you to, this is important here. It's not crucial to what I'm saying, but, but I want you to see here the footnote. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So how does this righteousness come about? How does this writing of the world come about? Well, again, a traditional translation here that NIV fairly follows is through faith in Jesus Christ. It, it wisely has a footnote there. You can see it there, footnote H, that says, or through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to prefer that reading. Okay, I'm mean, going to say that, that, that the idea here is that, that Paul is saying that, hey, listen, God is writing the world, and he's doing it not through my belief in Jesus. He's doing it through what? Through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Through the one who obeyed all by himself to the very end. He was faithful. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? He, to the very end, he was faithful. And he says, he says listen, 
He says, listen, that, that, that work, that essential work of righteousness, of, of writing things, or of beginning to put the pieces back where they belong, that is happening through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So who makes the difference? It's not me. It is Christ and Christ alone. I know that sounds so obvious in some ways, but what Paul has done in these previous two chapters here is to belabor the point of how God's people have not been able to get it right. They have not been able to produce that peace, that righteousness that we all long for. That God's people themselves are part of the problem. And if I am to forbear, I have got to believe that. Because in my, my selfishness and my blindness to my sin, I can begin to think, you know what, everyone, not y'all are the problem. This church would be great if it weren't for the congregation. Right? This church would be, this marriage would be amazing if it weren't for my spouse. This family would be incredible if it weren't for my spouse and kids. Right? And I see myself as part of the, the solution, apparently, somehow. So the question we need to ask before the forbear is to say, who makes the difference? Not me, but Christ. Right? Say, I'm, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm part of the problem. Yeah, all right? I'm part of the problem. And then say, turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is the answer. That's right, Jesus is the answer. Amen? Yeah, that's right. So, so the second question, first question, who makes a difference? Not me. Second question, is there any difference? Look at, the, look at verses 22 and 23, the second part of verse 22. I love what he says here. So this righteousness is given through, through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe, to anybody it's available to a crazy way to anybody. He says what? There is no difference. And the NIV fairly adds, the Greek's not there in the Greek, but it's between Jews and Gentiles, because that's what's being talked about. Paul has in mind here the notion of ethnic superiority, that God's people, genuinely, generally speaking, God's people think they're better than the rest of the world. And Paul's like, wrong. Right? He's saying there's no difference. So in forbearance, you've got to ask first, who makes the difference? Not me, Jesus. Second, is there any difference between me and the person I'm forbearing with? That's a very tough question. To actually, it's, you all know the Sunday school answer. It's right here. But when you're actually in the midst of it, trying to forbear and saying, listen, is this person, at the end of the day, no kidding, are their hearts cut from the same cloth as mine? That person on Facebook who's just completely lost it politically. That person who celebrates all manner of, of um, you know, freedom for, say, LGBT community. The person who has wronged you or a loved one in such a dark and evil way. Listen, by asking the question, is there any difference? I'm not dismissing or making light or trivializing the wrong that was done to you. But it is absolutely essential if we are to forbear that we agree with Scripture that says, listen, there's no difference. At the end of the day, your heart, our hearts are cut from the same cloth. And here again, what's so important to really make this practical, when we are struggling to forbear with someone, Entering into their world, walking in their shoes, beginning to understand what happened and why, 
Sometimes that's, sometimes that's maybe not accessible or possible to do. But the more you can do it, I would encourage you. Because you know why? Forbearance, truly believing that there is no difference, that forbearance will come when you can say this. Are you ready? I could see myself doing that. I, can, I am capable of that. Or I am capable of something just as egregious, maybe not that, but that's just not my temperament. That's not my story. There's no difference. So if I'm going to forbear, I must ask, who makes the difference? Jesus, not me. I'm part of the problem. Second, is there any difference? No, there's, there's not a trace of difference. Third, so why am I any different? Why am I any different? I mean, if there's no difference in the sense that fundamentally, apart from Christ, there's no difference, why am I different? And the answer is obvious. It's grace. Look at verse 24. In verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, how? Freely, by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It is only through Christ that I am actually different, that I have been justified, that I have been given his spirit, that I've actually begun to be less of the problem. That I am actually maybe in some small way a part of the solution. That is exclusively a matter of grace. So first question, who makes the difference? Not me. Second, is there any difference between me and them? No. Third, why am I different? Again, God's grace. Nothing that I have merited, nothing that I have deserved. And then fourth and finally, the question, what does our deliverance say about God? What does our deliverance say about God? Look at these final two verses here. I want to see three things. First, a great unfairness. And a huge unfairness. Look at verse 25a. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. So you and I have made this mess. And what is the Father doing? What is the Son doing? Both of them are giving and losing in such an unfair way. Why should the Father give up His Son? Why should He present Him as a sacrifice of atonement? Why should the Son do that? What, 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 what on earth, how on earth is this fair to them? See, if we see, I don't know about you, but I just think of my, I am so good at self-pity. I'm so good at it. That's so unfair. That's not fair. I'm not being treated right. And God's like, you want unfairness? I'll talk about unfairness. Read Romans 3, verse 25. That's unfairness. God, the Father, presented his own son as a sacrifice of atonement. That's not fair at all. So first, we're to see how this deliverance speaks of incredible unfairness. How is this fair to father and son? Second, we should see God's faithfulness. We see this again. God presented, verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this, God did this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. That is to say, he did it to demonstrate that he is faithful, that, that the promise, that righteousness, that promised restoration, it's happening. 
He's saying, listen, I know all of you couldn't do it, but I am showing you that I have a deep interest in fulfilling my word, even when it's the cost of my own son. That Lego that we're having to put back together, the cost of doing that is the blood of my own son. And I promised you I would, and now I'm, good, I'm going to. Do you see that the idea is this, that God's commitment meant the crucifixion of his own son. He was committed to us. So far, first, a greater unfairness. Secondly, God's faithfulness. And then, of course, it's right there in the text, God's forbearance. Do you see it there? I love this. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his, what? Forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Isn't that amazing? So think about this. They start, they're talking about God's people here. are talking about Israel. That from the time of Abraham, 2,000 years, you know, 2,000 AD, ballpark, to the time of Christ, every sin of God's people went unaddressed. So it wasn't addressed. It wasn't talked about. God knows what it's like to be wronged and to have it just left unaddressed. He knows what it's like to, to, what, to live in a world where everyone's pretending like they haven't done a damn thing wrong. He lets his world that he lives in every single day. In fact, and it's only with the coming of Christ that Christ offers himself so that it's finally addressed. And by the way, that's just the sins of God's people. What about the sins of the rest of the world? What's it like to live with people who pretend like you don't even exist? You're just invisible to them. You have no value, no worth in their eyes. God knows that that's exactly like every single day. That's his world. Constantly slandered. Constantly maligned, constantly underestimated. And he is forbearing, saying, Listen, I will, there will be a day of judgment, but it is not yet. Not yet. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of mercy. And when we, when we forbear with another, we're entering into that fatherly forbearance. You know what? If God, the Father, can forbear that long, maybe I can forbear a few decades. Four or five decades. If I can wait, if he can wait for justice, maybe I can too. So if we are to forbear, we must ask, who makes that difference? It wasn't me. I'm part of the problem. It was Jesus. Is there any difference? Nope. At the end of the day, there is no difference. What does make us different? Why am I not them? God's grace. And what does our deliverance say about God as we look to the cross? We see incredible unfairness. We see a God who is faithful, committed at the cost of crucifying his own son. And we see God's forbearance, just letting these things go on and on and on, generation after generation after generation, waiting only to crucify his own son. And then now, of course, waiting for the Son to return. And He will return. And gang, this is, I'll close with this. This is the last thing that I want you to hear because it's so important. 
one of the most important things that you can do in forbearing, and this text doesn't talk about it, but is to embrace a God who really one day pour out his wrath in a way that is so terrifying, in a way that is so unsettling, in a way that is so final, that you will be praying for your enemies. You will not wish that wrath on anyone. And it will come, it will be perfect, swift, and final. He's got this. He's got this thing called justice. Let go of the resentment. Let go of the bitterness that are just eating you up. I get it, I'm, I'm just preaching to the choir here. And enter into his forbearance. Know the peace, the freedom of a God who alone will judge. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father.